James chapter 5, finishing up today. This message is called Perspective, okay? Because we recall that this um, is a book of wisdom, right? A book of wisdom. Most of the wisdom literature in the Bible is in the Old Testament. However, this is a New Testament piece of wisdom literature. And it is written by Jesus' little brother himself, who we call James, right? So, anyway, there was this movie. And I'll be honest, it's the only Nicolas Cage movie that I actually like. Because, no, because all the rest of the Nicolas Cage movies, like, I just, I can't stand Nicolas Cage, all right? I need to repent of that. But anyway, the, the movie is Family Man, all right? Anybody see Family Man? No. It's all, I'll give you like a, a brief intro to what's going on in Family Man. So here's how Family Man starts. It starts with Nicolas Cage. He's a rich businessman on like Wall Street. He's invested in like, uh, you know, stocks and all this kind of stuff. And he, he's a big hotshot. And he has a lot of cars. And he has like a hundred suits. And he's got all the women that he wants. And he is a very powerful man. Like, whatever he says, whenever he says it, it is done. Right? He's got everything that you could ask for. He's got anything that you want to eat or drink. He's got the life. And he lives on, like, you know, the penthouse suite of some skyscraper in New York City. And the, the way he has his life set up, he thinks this is the life. Right? And then he bumps into some guy. And we've we realized that he's more than just a guy. And this guy is played by Don Cheadle, who's an awesome actor. And so the guy like sees not just the outward appearance that man looks upon, but this guy gets a glimpse of the heart. You know? And sometimes we can fool ourselves by our outward appearance, by how much we have and power and prestige and money and all this stuff, and we lose sight of what's actually going on in the heart. And this guy who can see to the heart says to this guy, Nicholas Cage, he goes, I'm gonna give you a glimpse. A glimpse of what your life would have been like if you had made some different choices. Right? And so he rewinds his life, or actually, he doesn't rewind his life. He, he changes the choices in the, plat, the past and says, this is where you would be right now if you had made these choices back here, right? And the choices back there had to do with um, not leaving this girl named Kate and, um, and, and not like becoming this self-focused, self-involved, ego-driven like Wall Street monger and not gaining all kinds of money and success and power and accolades and all this stuff, but instead being a humble family man who sells tires for a living for his father-in-law and wears humble clothing and drives a minivan and changes little children's diapers and, like, um, you know, his kids run and jump in when he's not ready to get up in the morning and they're like, Dad, there's poop in my pants, you know, and I need a bottle and all this stuff. And he's just like, oh, I didn't, you know, and he is so, he, because he is still him, but he's all, the, all of a sudden thrown into this other humble life instead of the prestigious life. Do you know what I mean? 
And when he's thrown into the humble life, he resists it at first because he's like, this is, this is not what, people are here to serve me and wait on me and my money can buy me anything. But he's thrown into this life where he's shown a different perspective. And you see, the thing is, sometimes riches and money can blind us to our own poverty, right? Everybody here on this earth, everybody here in this room is poor. We're all poor. And when we have lots of money and treasures on earth, we can forget that we're actually poor, right? That's why Jesus says, and as we look at this book of James, and especially here in this chapter, we're going to hear echoes of Jesus, right? Because if this is Jesus' little brother, you can bet that all these years he was hearing the things that Jesus taught and said and the wisdom that Jesus passed along. And probably, you know, I just got to wonder if, like, at the time he's, like, all resistive. Like, you know, you can't tell me what to do because, unlike Jesus, he was a sinner. So how would that have been if your older brother is perfect and not a sinner and you're the little brother and you, you already feel like a lesser being because you're the little brother and then, like, you're you're not perfect and you're a sinner and your older brother is perfect. You know, like, like what kind of complex does that give you? And I bet, like, you know, he heard all this wisdom from his brother, his older brother Jesus, and he wouldn't receive it. You know, I wonder if he was just like, no, you're dumb. You know, I don't want to listen to you. But the, the way that we tend to do when we hear wisdom before we gain wisdom, we reject it as a fool. Anyway, so I just wonder. But we're going to hear echoes of Jesus because no matter what may have happened back in the day as they were growing up and stuff, the point is, like, Jesus rubbed off on James, and his thoughts became James' thoughts, and his wisdom translated to James' wisdom, and definitely, like, he has his own voice, but Jesus' like essence is still there all over the pages, right? So this is reminiscent what James is about to say about, like, riches and poverty, it's reminiscent of what Jesus says back in the Sermon on the Mount. So let me read this part, and then we'll connect the two, okay? Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming to you. Why is he telling the rich people to weep and howl? Because what he wants the rich people to see is their poverty. And if they see, if they glimpse their own poverty, they will be brokenhearted over it. That's why back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are you when you are poor in spirit. Because everybody here is poor in spirit. So you're blessed when you recognize that you are poor in spirit. Make sense? However, it is much harder for a person who is rich on earth to recognize their spiritual poverty because you're like, how can I be rich and poor at the same time? Does that make sense? So it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible. I bet there are going to be rich people in heaven. For instance, Job. Job had a lot of good stuff. He had, he had earthly blessings. We're going to see Job in heaven, I'm certain of it. He was a godly rich man. However, it is very difficult when you are rich in earthly possessions to be rich in heavenly possessions at the same time. 
because you have to do two things, go in two different directions. I am earthly rich, but I am spiritually poor. Does that make sense? So again, he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Um, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Does that sound like Jesus? Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Your possessions that you have right now, your earthly riches, will consume your flesh like fire. Well, this is like hell imagery, right? And if we're hearing hell imagery, we're hearing that the riches of this earth, if we live according to earthly riches and that alone, it is like the fires of hell, which will just eat you alive and you'll just become this pitiful nothingness. Right? So doesn't this bring up images that, uh, that Jesus had in the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, where he talked like, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And that, you know, he also goes on to say, it is very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is just really funny. I've just, you know, I, I feel like Jesus being humorous. But it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than camel to go through the eye of the needle. And you're thinking about it and you look at the eye of the needle and you look at a camel and you're like, nope. Right? That, that's how hard it is for a rich man to go to heaven. Not because riches are sinful or anything. Riches are not in themselves inherently sinful. It is the man who is sinful. Man is fallen. Man is sinful. It is hard for man in general to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? And now if you're distracted by your earthly wealth and you have riches and people at your beck and call and you can buy anything you want whenever you want and you never truly experience suffering, if you never suffering, you might, if you never suffer, you might never come to the point of repentance because you will never feel your own spiritual poverty, which is there because you can cover your spiritual poverty with earthly riches. You can distract yourself from it enough to tell yourself that you're just a-okay and you're self-sufficient. You don't really need a savior because you got money, right? So it is hard but not impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, weep and howl, you rich people, because you don't even know the judgment that is coming to you because you fail to recognize your spiritual poverty. Right? Um, you have laid up for yourself treasure in the last days. Like, contrary to storing up treasures in heaven, you have stored up treasure in the last days here on earth while this earth is fading away. You have failed to store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6? He says, store up, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal, where your gold and your silver is not going to get corroded and rusty and all this stuff. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven and live for heaven because what's going on right here, anything that you store up a treasure on earth is not going to be eternal. 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to fade away. It's going to be destroyed. Just like this flesh, this flesh right here is not eternal. This flesh is also fading away. This flesh will someday die, right? However, we need the hope of Jesus to give us a new resurrection body that we could live for eternity in the kingdom of heaven, right? So as we store up for our self-treasures in heaven, we're storing up riches that can't be destroyed. And as we lay up for ourselves and we, we lay our hope in the resurrection, we're hoping in a body that likewise can't be destroyed. We're living for heaven instead of living for earth. See, it's a shift in perspective. See, just as that guy, Nicholas Cage, who Nicholas Cage played, had a shift in perspective when he was introduced to the humble life, he had the chance, he had the opportunity to like get back into Wall Street and use his like his knowledge of the stock market and his business like uh, intellect to get back into the stock market and start making all this money. And he's like trying to convince his wife that this is a good idea. And he's like, we could provide a good life for ourselves, send our kids to a good private school and some of the best colleges and all this stuff. And she's like, no, we said we weren't going to raise our kids in the city. We said that we weren't going to live this life though we could have. And it's so cool. Like you go through the movie and then by the end of the movie, he like watches this home video of, of like him on Kate's birthday, his wife's birthday, like a few years ago. And it was a video where like he, he like planned this surprise and he had his buddy film and, and Kate didn't know about this. And then he like pops out of the house and he's, and he starts singing and his buddy is like secretly filming this whole thing. And he's like singing a love song to Kate on her birthday and she's getting, like, all embarrassed and red-faced, and he's a stinking terrible singer, you know? But he, like, doesn't even care. He's like, no, 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 right? And what, what, what he realizes in that moment is he gains a new perspective. He gains the perspective that no matter how much money I had in this other life, and no matter how many women, how much power and cars and all this stuff, and position and accolades no matter what I had in this former life you can't buy the loving relationship that just develops over time of two people having gone through the thick of it together you can't buy that with money so he decides in the end of the movie he doesn't want to go back to his old life he wants to like live the life with Kate and with their kids and with his tire salesman job he want in his minivan and his changing diapers and all this stuff he wants to live that life in earthly poverty because he has in that life what money can't buy in the relationship and the love and the family and the kids that look up to him even though they like bug him but they like think he's a superhero he chooses instead of the life of vast riches, the life of earthly poverty, because he's rich in relationships. Does that make sense? Money can't buy relationships. So this is what he's saying. You should weep if you're rich. You should howl, and you should cry, and you should fall apart if you're rich, because you don't even know what's coming to you on the day of judgment. You don't even know how your life will actually just fall apart because your riches 
can't save you. And your riches, your earthly riches, can't give you the things that money can't buy. Riches can't buy you an eternal relationship with the Savior. So if they can't do that, why would you put all your trust and reliance on earthly riches when it's just it's gone in the blink of an eye? Live for what money can't buy instead. Does that make sense? Um, so this is what he says about riches and poverty. And, well, let's finish. There, there's a little bit more that he says. Behold the wages of your labors, of those who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud. He's like, okay, you, you got all this money. You paid people to mow your fields, and then you didn't pay the people who mowed your fields. You're keeping it back by fraud because you feel all powerful and self-important and have failed to realize that those people who mowed your fields are actually people too. And you've gypped them off by failing to pay them because of what it could gain you in this life because you're so wrapped around the axle about money. Now, these fields and these people that you gypped they're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. Don't think it goes unnoticed because they're not powerful and you are. Their cries have reached the ears of the Lord, and he's heard their cries and heard that you're a jipper offer. <laughs> and you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, and you have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person because he does not resist you. Now, usually the righteous person is a non-resistant person, right? The person who is resistant, who is a resister, who is an oppressor, who is a fighter, this is not usually the characteristic of a righteous person. A righteous person will take the bullet instead of deal the bullet. He will take the sword instead of deal the sword. He's willing to die because his treasures are not here on earth. They're laid up in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. So anything I lose on this earth is really only gain for me in heaven. So think about this. The righteous man does not resist you, it says. Why doesn't he resist? And why would maybe the rich man resist or oppress or be a bully or whatever it is? Because it comes down to the question. Remember, he's telling the rich people to weep in hell. What do you weep over? What do you cry about? What do you get mad about? What do you fight over? What can you not let go of, right? You ever like, you know, you buy a new iPad and it falls on the ground and a car runs over it and you're like, dang, and you get so mad and you want to like punch the car in the face, which is never a good idea, by the way, don't do that. And, and you want to give that person driving the car a piece of your mind and you just want to tell them how it is. What are you mad about? What are you, what are you mad about? your loss of an earthly possession, right? You drop your phone, it cracks. You're like, 
you're, you're mad about, you weep about it, you're like sitting there crying in a puddle of tears, you come over to the person, why are you crying? And they're like, my phone cracked. You're like, are you being ridiculous right now? What do you, what do you weep over? Some young guy or young girl like loses the person that they're madly in love with or whatever. And and the person leaves them and they just fall apart at the seams and they just, you can't even talk to them and they don't make sense anymore. And they just, when they cry, all that comes out, when they talk, all that comes out is tears. And you're like, who, can you not live without that person? And they're like, no, I can't live without the person. What do you weep about? What do you cry about? What do you get angry about? What do you hold on to as if, it is your salvation. Right? The rich people should weep over their riches because it is not a real savior. It is a false savior. They should weep over it. And if they were to lose their riches, they would weep as if they had lost their very life. Right? Right? If you don't resist people, if you, like, take the bullet, if you, like, turn the other cheek, if you, like, let things go easily, if you, like, don't have to win every single argument, if you, like, drop your phone and it breaks and you're like, well, all right, well, we'll figure it out. If your, like, house burns down and you're like, well, foxes don't and have holes and birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head so if I have no place to lay my head I'm in good company right if this is the type of attitude that you can take where you don't fall apart into a weeping mess puddle because you've lost earthly possessions then you are not looking to earthly possessions as your savior like the rich people and it is easy for you to enter the kingdom of heaven because you're already at the end of your rope and you've already let go of your earthly possessions and you already hold things with an open hand and you already understand your spiritual poverty and you have already repented and given up the battle and like turn the other cheek and like let somebody else win and like they take your shirt and you like gift wrap your cloak and give it to them too and you're like here you go have a blessed day you go with them the extra mile why Because your treasures are in heaven. And you realize that giving them your cloak is not the end of the world. In fact, when the world ends, the cloak will end too. (laughs) Right? It's all about perspective. What perspective do we take on this life? And remember, this is a book of wisdom. And any time we truly gain wisdom, we gain perspective in this life. And we let go of the things that are not eternal. And we cling more tightly to the things that are eternal. Right? So he goes on to say, or, well, like Jesus says, this is still echoes of Jesus. He says, where where you lay up your treasure, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, right? And then get to the end of that little section, and he says, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you lay up your treasures, that's where your heart will be. And if you lay up your treasure on earth, your heart will be on earth. So this world ending or 
whatever, or these things fading away, or this body fading away, right? If I lay up for myself treasures on heaven, I'm really going to feel gypped about getting old, right? You ever seen, like, old people and they're not happy? They're, like, really cantankerous and upset and, like, not happy about life? And you're like, what's up? And they're like, I'm suffering. It sucks getting old. And you're like, well, yeah, I know, but what is life, this life or the next, right? And I shouldn't talk because I'm not an old man, so I probably don't understand their problems. And they, you know, I don't know what creaky knees feel like and all that stuff. <laughs> no, we're, we're all very young people in the grand scheme of things. I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm just probably being insensitive to old people, but, but seriously... You also meet the happy old people, and they're like, I don't even care. I just saw an old lady downstairs, and she every time I see her, she has a smile on her face, and she always helps clean up the tables. And she's sitting there, like, putting chairs on the tables, and I'm like, you can't even lift chairs. Like, the chair weighs more than you do. What are you doing? And I'm like, give me the chair. And she's like, no, I got it. And I'm like, no, stop. Oh, that yeah, that lady, yeah. right? I... Pat, yeah, is that her name? Uh-huh, that's yeah. her name. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, Pat. So, and then I walked by earlier, and Pat is sitting there with her little, like, her little uh, lipstick case that, like, you open, and it has the mirror in it. She's pulling out her lipstick, and she's, like, putting it on her lips and, like, checking out her pucker, like, in the mirror, like, making sure she's looking good for her husband. And he's like, yeah, babe. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, these guys, they just, they get it. Like, like she's, I don't know how many years old, and she's still trying to look attractive for her husband, right? And she is still picking up chairs with a smile on her face and, like, telling me to walk away. And I'm like, Pat, I'm supposed to do this for you. And she's like, no. So that's the kind of old person that you want to be. She, is, she has one foot inside of eternity. Her treasures are stored up in heaven. So she can live this life very loosely and very well and not hanging on to every little thing and every fight and every word someone said and every this and every that and trying to like still win the battle that you were fighting when you were 20 years old. And like she's let go of that. And her treasures, it appears, are in heaven. And she's a joy to be around. Do you know what I'm saying? Be like that. Anyway. What James has to say about suffering. Be patient, therefore, brothers. This is verse 7. Until the coming of the Lord. What is all this about? Having a perspective about the coming of the Lord. If our eyes are on Jesus, and he said he's coming, and he promised that he left us to go prepare us a place in heaven, if our eyes are on Jesus, then when he comes back in the world, this world fades away, like we're going to be pumped that he's coming back not anxious and fearful and upset that he's coming back we're going to be hopeful and joyous we're going to lift our enthusiasm and raise our praises because the king is back right so be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the lord see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth hey by the way that's us the fruit of the earth being patient about it until 
it receives the early and the late rains. So you also be patient and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. How do we live life really well? We live like the coming of the Lord is at hand. We live like eternity is just inches away. And we're throwing our treasures over that eternity line to storm up over there and not have to hang on to everything with a tight fist here. We live life well if we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. So he is reminding us, just as the farmer is patient and he waits for the early rains and the late rains, that's how Jesus is. He's waiting for those who are saved early and those who are saved in the last second. And some of us who are saved early get all super self-righteous and we're like, well, it's not fair if people get saved in the last second, right? Well, there's parables about that, right? There's a guy, a master, and he's like, I'm going to pay you to work in my field. And the guy's like, oh, yes. And he starts like bright and early in the morning. And he ends up getting the wage of like, you know, just say, like 50 bucks. He gets 50 bucks for working all day. And you're like, okay, that's kind of cool. Um, some guy comes midday, and he works for the rest of the day. Half, half the amount is the first guy. And he works half a day, and he gets 50 bucks. How do you think the first guy feels? Well, there's some guy who comes, like, with two hours left in the day. And he works for two hours, the last part of the day, and the sun's not even high in the sky, and you're not sweating bullets and all this stuff. You don't even need deodorant. Come on. And What? I said I still love deodorant. I'm sure you would. (laughs) Um, And he gets 50 bucks in the... First two guys are like grumbling and they're like, this is stupid because he got 50 bucks. There's a guy that comes five minutes before, I'm paraphrasing all this, but there's a guy who comes five minutes before the end of the day. And he works the last five minutes. How much do you think he gets? 50 bucks. He gets 50 bucks. And people are like, oh, that's not fair. It's too- he worked five minutes for 50 bucks. That's like 10 bucks a minute, right? And those people who are grumbling and arguing about all this, where are their treasures? Treasures are on earth. See, no matter when you're saved, early or late, when you're saved, you get the same inheritance. Eternity with God forever and ever, Amen. You get the same inheritance. So stop holding on to earthly power and like position and all this stuff and thinking that you're trying to gain for yourself something here and make for yourself a name here because we're all going to the same place and we're all storing up. We're all going to earn our treasures that are in heaven, right? So he says, be patient in trial just as the farmer is patient for the fruit to come out of the earth. Where are the fruit of the earth? And God is patiently waiting. And you're like, when's he going to come? He said he was going to come 2,000 years ago, any minute. We've been waiting 2,000 years. Well, he's patient about the day of the Lord. And he knows precisely when he means for it to be and when he means for his judgment and salvation to come. He knows exactly when it is, and he's patient. So we do not need to be anxious we would be anxious if we're not living life well. 
if we're living life foolishly and living for earth, we would live anxious because God coming is a bad thing. If we're living life well, if we're storing up treasures in heaven, then any minute that he comes, it's a really good thing. And in the meantime, I'm going to be patient because I'm so heavenly minded and I'm so pumped about my heavenly riches that when life sucks right now, I don't even care. I don't even care. Because I got riches in heaven. I got stacks in heaven. I'm rolling in the deep in heaven. You know what I'm talking about? So, just as Jesus is patient, you be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another brothers so that you might be judged behold the judge is standing at the door don't grumble and bicker and argue with one another because you're not the judge the judge is at the door the door of eternity jesus is the judge he's going to make everything right pretty soon whenever it is it's at hand i don't know what that means but it means it's coming (laughs) right live like the judge is standing at the door right Live like Jesus is at hand. And life will go well for you. And you'll stop complaining about everything. And you'll stop bickering with people. And you'll stop having stupid arguments about stupid things that don't really matter. Right? Let go of all that stuff. Let go. That is wisdom. Weep about your riches. Rejoice about what you have in heaven. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Right? What are you saying? Chill out. Be steadfast. Like, just be really still. Be really sturdy really grounded, really planted, not thrown around in all this stuff by every little drama that comes along. You know, somebody gives you like a little piece of gossip drama and you like fly off the hinge and you like want to go kill somebody and you're in a murderous rage and you're like, you're, you know, grabbing your pickaxe and you're like, you know, ready to start the witch hunt. Like, hey, chill out. Nobody needs you to be the judge Nobody needs you to start a witch hunt. Nobody needs you to burn somebody at the stake. Chill out, man. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. If you live life like Jesus is just around the corner, things are going to go really well for you. And you're going to let go of those stupid dramas that don't really matter. And you're like, well, I could get myself worked up, but Jesus is coming. He's going to make it all good, so I'm just going to chill out. So what's James' message right here? Because of your perspective of eternity and the perspective that wisdom gives you, chill out. All right? Chill out. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by earth or by oath, and let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you will not fall under condemnation. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 33. He's talking about oaths. He says, 
hey, don't swear, don't make all these promises, don't fill yourself with empty promises. You know, people make promises that they can't keep because they want people, other people, to think well of them. It's like, hey, stop making promises you can't keep. Stop saying all this stuff. Stop having to, like, swear by your mother and her, like, left ear and all this stuff. Stop swearing by heaven and by earth and your father's grave and all this stuff. Stop swearing. Just say what you mean and mean what you say. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say yes, let it mean yes. And if you say no, let it mean no. Right? This is what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount. And then all these years later, James is saying it in his epistle. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Speaking of yes and no, I think some of us need to learn the wisdom of how to use yes and no. Right? There is the wisdom of yes and no. If you always say yes, you're probably foolish. If you always say no, you're probably foolish. Wisdom knows precisely when to say yes and precisely when to say no. See, I know some no people. I know some no people, man. You ask them to do anything, no. You ask them to go somewhere, no. They got an excuse. They always have excuses. You tell them to do this, no. You tell them to. You tell them about like you're just telling them a story. You're like, I went to some this place the other day, and they're like, No, you didn't, <laughs> right? And they're just like arguing with you about nothing, and you're like, Why do you always say no? It's like they're 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 driving through life with their foot constantly on the brakes, and it's like you are gonna wear out your brake pads. Stop doing that. Stop saying no after everything, and you're like, No, right? And then on the other hand, like you don't want to be that person. You don't want to always say no. But you don't want to always say yes. You ever know, like, those yes men? Like, they don't know how to say no? Like, remember that movie, Yes Man? <laughs> he had to say yes to everything. And then he finds himself at, like, 4 a.m., just chugged, like, 16 Red Bulls, and he's, like, doing jogging photography with a group. And he's like, hey! Right? And, and they're, like, jogging in a little group, and he goes sprinting ahead of them. And he's So funny. Anyway, yes men. Yes men say yes to everything. Right? Because they don't want anybody to be upset or angry at them. Right? They don't want to let anybody down. They don't want people to, because they live and they die by the mouths of others. You can't be a yes man. You can't always say yes. You can't always make everybody happy. You can't always do whatever. You can't live. And these people burn themselves out and they run themselves into the ground and they kill themselves in the ministry because there's always needs in the ministry and there's always something going wrong in somebody else's life. And if you're a yes man, you're just going to kill yourself by saying yes to everybody all the time in every situation. The wisdom for a yes man is learning when to say no. No, I can't do that. No, I can't. No, um, it's not a good idea for me to do that right now. No, probably I shouldn't go there. But I'll say yes to this. And for a no man, you've got to learn when to say yes. You've got to stop disagreeing with everything and everybody and every doctrine and every Bible and every, <laughs> right? You've got to stop being in disagreement with everything. Learn how to say yes. It takes courage. It also takes courage to say no. Point is, be courageous. Be honest. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And no, when to say yes, when to say no. Cool? And this is called the prayer of faith, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? 
let him sing praise. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So check this out. If you suffer, pray. He's just giving you some practical steps. If life stinks, pray. If you are cheerful, sing praises. Be happy. And don't let other people tell you that, no, you just got to be sad all the time. It's got to be a gloomy, gray day every minute of every day. You're like, no, man. Learn how to say no. No. You need to cheer up and learn how to be happy because God is good and he is on the throne. Right now, I'm going to sing praises, right? And you can't let them be a no bully, right? People who say no all the time get their way a lot because because they're a bully. They're a bully with the word no. And nobody's willing to stand up to the bully. But you know what? As soon as somebody does stand up to the bully and they expose their fraud and their sham and their, like, fakeness that they're not really as tough as they look, they just crumble and their weakness is exposed. Just, if you suffer, pray. If you're happy, be happy. Sing praises to Jesus all day long. Don't even stop. And if you're sick, find the elders of the church. They're going to pray for you. They're going to anoint you with oil. And their faith and their healing prayers can make you well. Is that cool? Which means maybe we should do more prayers for healing. Maybe we should do more anointing with oil. And maybe we should do more ministering to people who are not well and who are sick and who like are in need because like, they might not have the faith in their suffering circumstances. They just can't muster it up that day for whatever reason or for those months or weeks or whatever it is. But our faith can make them well because we prayed for them and anointed them. It doesn't have to be like, like throwing up sick. It can be like you're physically, right? Yeah, yeah. Any, any kind of not wellness, you know what I mean? Because what we say when we pray to heal people and make them well is this is what this is a little taste of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. Everything is going to be made right and well. We're praying for you right now, and that's just a glimpse of what eternity is going to be like. You made right and well. Cool. <clears throat> and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, right? Maybe there's a guy who's sick and can't even talk, and like, I, my grandma passed away like a year ago, and she was in the hospital, and she was like sick, and literally in and out of a coma, and she couldn't talk, and organs are like shutting down, and all this stuff, and her skin is yellow, and I mean, it was just really sad, and the whole family's there, and she just wasn't totally with it up here. She wasn't like coherent to like make big decisions you know and um, but I was at the hospital and she was like making a ruckus in there and so I went in the room and, and, and she was like with it for a couple seconds long enough to say long enough to say the words I want God and I was like and I was like, I can pray with you. You want to pray? She was like, yeah. And, and we got to pray right there in the hospital. 
And I don't think she was in her right mind or that her, like, like her, she was, like, mustering up massive amounts of faith at the moment when she's in and out of a coma, right? But she knew how to say a couple things. And I prayed that my faith was strong enough for her, right? When she couldn't muster it up in that moment. And according to this, like, your faith can make the sick person well. Your faith can save them, right? And Jesus will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, this person, he will be forgiven. Because you prayed for them. And because of your faith, their sins are forgiven and their sickness is made well. Is that cool? Maybe we should pray a little bit more, huh? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it is working, as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth because he prayed for it because he had faith. And you're like, well, what does faith have to do with rain? You know? Maybe we need a little more faith. Maybe we need to pray a little more earnestly. Maybe we need to pray with all faith, like as if we actually believe that God will deliver on what we're asking for. Right? And, and according to what James is saying here, our faith can save people, our prayers can heal people, and like Elijah, our prayers can stop the rain on the earth for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You know, sometimes God allows dryness. He allows dry seasons, desert seasons, desert spells, wandering in the desert, feeling like I'm not going anywhere. Life sucks. Life is dry. I don't feel, the, I don't feel God near me. What, what is going on? He allows his people to ask questions and to wander and to fail. But you know what? In the desert, our shoes never wear out. Right? So we can keep walking. We can at least keep walking through the desert because we still got shoes. Right? And sometimes he won't allow rain on the earth for three and a half years for his own reasons that we don't understand. And we got all worried, and we're suffering, and we're like, bah, bah, it's over. It's, uh, I'm falling apart. Nobody loves me. Like, you know what? Just chill out. God's coming. Live like Jesus is at hand, and start praying. If you suffer, pray. If stuff is hurting, like, go to the elders of the church. It is my prayer that as a church the body of Christ as part of the Christian movement in the world that we would increase our faith and that we would grow in the way that we pray for one another and we build one another up and we let go of stupid issues and we you know what I mean there's bigger things at hand than the fact that that guy like stepped on your white shoes like people are dying and need prayer people are not saved and need prayer People's lives are falling apart. Needs prayer. 
And if you've been blessed with anything, and if you glimpse the perspective of your own spiritual poverty, that you're not entitled to stuff, and that your life is totally messed up, and if you glimpse that, you are freed up to live a life of gratitude that just goes to others and just gives generously. Why was Jesus more pleased with that lady who gave two pennies? Because it was everything that she had. She gave it all up for Jesus because it meant something. And he was not pleased with the person who gave a lot more money, but he was withholding. He was being a fraud. He was trying to look good in front of his friends. Right? So... I pray that we would gain the perspective and live for the things that money can't buy and live with the wisdom of living life for eternity and like Jesus is just around the corner and like the Lord, the coming of the Lord is at hand and we would live lives that let go of the dumb things and if we suffer, we should pray for one another and if other people suffer, we should pray for them. And if we have something and they're in need, then we should give it. And when we don't feel like we have a lot, we should give anyways. And we should, we should live our lives in such a way that our faith demands God to show up. You know what I mean? Uh, not the puny faith. I'm sick of puny faith. Right? Live a God-sized life and pray, pray God-sized prayers and expect... God-sized things in your life and your family's life and the lives of people around you in our church and in our cities and all of this stuff. Live that kind of life. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you're good and you love us and you're coming and you're just around the corner. We pray that we would live lives well and with wisdom and as if you are at hand, we would store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We would be good stewards of anything that you give us. God, bless us. Bless our ministries. Bless our prayers. Bless our works. God, give us little bits of encouragement that show us that you hear us and that you're there and that you're listening and that you love your people and never give up on them. In Jesus' name, amen.